podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Jamie. Yeah, it's been some time since we've had a new pod out. Uh, kind of COVID has messed up the schedules. We had also been a little bit delayed due to some illnesses and Christmas party season. I have to say, yeah, there was one we were supposed to do and I have to admit I was a bit hungover, but there you go. Uh, we had planned to record after the Brentford game, which never happened. Then we also had Brighton postponed. So yeah, it'd been a while since we'd actually last played and it seemed like ages and ages. Uh, you know, we're recording this 24 hours after a 1-1 draw with Newcastle which will be a kind of main focus of this podcast. But we're going to generally kind of have a look at the four matches since Ralph Ranić has come in. Um, you know, Jamie, when we first started, it kind of seemed like a good start against Palace. Uh, we weren't amazing, but we got that 1-0 win. You saw some bits of that kind of pressing coming in. But now in a couple of matches have not been anywhere near as impressive. I mean, we had the draw with young boys, but it was a heavily rotated team. So we didn't put too much kind of stock into that one. But then the last two games, Norwich and Newcastle, who were right at the bottom of the league and struggling, uh, you know, we just inched past Norwich 1-0 and have only probably been kind of lucky to get a 1-1 with Newcastle. Um, I mean, we... This was not the way we were kind of expecting it to go with the new guy, right? No, it's not at all. Um, as you say, it's kind of hard to place exactly where we're at because the disruption has caused quite a few issues. I mean, I know Maguire's already spoke about it. We've seen some of the other players kind of indicate that it's not been easy having such an extended period of time off for COVID and for the new variant and having Carrington shut down, struggling to implement any sort of training plan and I think even Rangnick has said that he's had to send out training videos and packs if you like online just to kind of keep the players up to scratch a little bit and try to get them up to speed but that doesn't take you very far, you know what I mean but still at the same time, as you say the game against Palace we had a, we had a really good opening 30, 45 minutes, and you can see a real difference almost in intensity and and attitude and just everything. It just looks so much better. And even in the second half, when it slowed down a little bit, we were still the better team, and we deserved to win that game, and we did. The young boys game, as you say, there's a lot of rotation because he was still checking players out. He was wanting to see what some of the other players who have maybe been on the fringe during all his tenure, he's had a good look at them after that young boys game, so yeah, it was a draw, but you know, you don't really put too much stock in that, we were already through, and as I say, it was a heavily rotated team, but the last two, yeah, have been quite concerning, I mean, Norwich are just getting battered off everybody battered by Palace today, battered by Arsenal at the weekend, thumped by I can't remember if it was Man City or whoever else they were playing, but that's the fifth defeat in a row now they've suffered. And Newcastle, despite playing not not bad in some of the games, again, have just been smashed for six all over the place by teams in the league throughout the last month, six weeks or so. So to play against both these teams and make these teams look much better than they are 
is very frustrating because you th- you thought there would be some sort of change, some sort of shift, if you like, in the attitude of the players, the determination of the players in terms of how they were going to implement their playing style. But I have to say, after the game last night and after the Norwich game, hardly anything's changed. And I know it's it's difficult just now because when it is the festive period, there's very little time to train. There's very little time to get the players together and start working on what the manager actually wants you to do. But at the same time, it's the results that mean everything. I mean, we were just kind of talking before we started recording about the difference even in Tottenham's outlook over the last four or five weeks purely off winning games when it matters. Arsenal seem to have put a run together and made a really good charge towards the top four. West Ham, yeah, they've had a wee bit of a falter, but they're still well in the f- well in the fight as well. And if we're not careful, and we start seeing results like last night become a, a regular thing, we're going to find ourselves having to play catch up a lot for the next few months. And it might even be done by that point, to be honest, because we're already a few like. Whatever, whatever it is, six or seven points behind Arsenal already, it's going to be really, really difficult if we don't start to get some wins just put together and a run put together soon. That was like the disappointing thing here, dropping two points in that top four race, which is absolutely vital for us now. Um, Arsenal have gone on a good run, although we did beat them. That's it, actually. You know, the teams we're fighting with, Arsenal, Spurs, West Ham, we've actually beaten them all this season in the league but still find ourselves like in and around them because of points dropped against other teams, whether, you know, Watford under Ole or, yeah, a game like this, Newcastle under Rangnick. Um, Spurs as well have drawn today, which is kind of decent for us. Uh, well, our problem, of course, is that there's games in hand that will be, have to be yeah. played at some point and that although we've had, in theory, a couple of weeks off, which at this point in the season you'd say, oh, it's good, you're having a kind of winter break, but it's been anything but a break with like, you know, at one point I think there was only about eight, nine, ten players in training. Now most of them are back in, but Maguire was suggesting that not everybody is 100%. Some people are still recovering from the effects of covid yeah, I always find it a bit weird, the secrecy around these things that we're not really told yeah, so who was struggling, who's had it bad. You know, you don't, you're just told that maybe 13 people were positive, who they were, who, who you know, who was seriously affected. We have no idea. Uh, and then, you know, if we look at the actual lineup that came against Newcastle, I think Lindelof was the only one where Ranić actually openly came out and said he's not playing because he's still COVID positive. The plus side, we had Varane back. We had Cavani back. Well, I say the plus side on Varane. He was actually miles, miles <laughs> off the pace and looked every bit as rusty as he might oh. have done with the time he's had out. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine in a few weeks' time. And I'm sure he would not have played this match if Lindelof had been ready to go. I'm not sure exactly what's happened to Eric Bailly. He wasn't even on the bench for that. And I haven't heard that he was COVID positive or anything. I actually have uh, seen a wee wee bit on him. I think he was preparing to go out with the Ivory Coast for the African Cup of Nations. But I he did is see in the it. AFCON thing, but they're yeah. not leaving until next week. And other players, uh, even in the same squad as him, like, you know, Louis Zaha is Ivory Coast and a few others, all played on the weekend. Yeah, but I did see that apparently, he, I don't know if he'd reported early or if he'd been excused early, but there was a tweet I saw, I can't remember if it was from the Manchester Evening News, but they did say 
that he has actually flown back to United now. So he is actually coming back to the squad for an extra week. So he has been given him more time to train with United to then go back and then later on go out and report with the international team. So I don't know if it was maybe that he was just given time off before it, before he was then flying out. Because it was, it was just a weird tweet to read to say, yeah, he's coming back. And I was like, nobody else has gone yet, though. Like, none of the other players have gone. But I have seen that he supposedly is going to be back in the squad. So suppose that's one to keep an eye on for Thursday to see if he is back in the squad. Yeah, because it was bizarre. I saw Phil Jones was on the bench. Um, so anyway, we'll find out what happens there. But otherwise, you know, he's more or less gone with similar lineups that Ranik had gone with in his first couple of matches. The main kind of change was Greenwood came in for Sancho. And apart from that, he's stuck with Tellez. He's stuck with Dallow. I was slightly surprised that he didn't make a couple more changes because, as I said, we were not great against Norwich. Uh, it was kind of picked out a lot and you know I'm always one who loves those passing accuracy stats and there was that day there was Bruno Tellez Rashford who'd been incredibly wasteful giving the ball away like you know a third of the time basically all in around the 60 70 percenters which is no good at all so I was kind of surprised that all of those retained their places especially Tellez because for me you know the goal from Tellez to shore is vast and you know, Luke Shaw has to be back in this team like very soon. I'm not surprised to see Diego Dallo keeping his place ahead of Aaron Wambasaka because we know he'd struggled earlier in the season. Uh, there's also been, you know, a lot of off the field issues for Aaron Wambasaka where he's been found guilty recently of driving uh, while disqualified and without insurance. So, yeah, not, not a good time for him at the moment. But yeah, he stuck with all them. Then the only other interesting thing in the lineup was that Martial and Lingard were left out completely. Uh, you know, it's looking like their days are numbered and are going to be probably allowed to leave the club in January. Um, that's the way it looks. And I don't, I think that's fair enough from Ranić. He's looking at the long term. Players who don't want to stay, he's come out and said, Leia, look, I'm not going to try and convince you to stay. Whereas I think under Ole, he wanted to try and get Lingard to sign a new contract. I think he was in the same position with Pogba, trying to get him to sign a new contract. And it looks like Ranić's on a bit of a different kind of vibe where he's just said, listen, if you don't want to commit to this club, if you don't want to stay, I'm not going to go out of my way to convince you. And yeah, feel free to move on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what you think about that. No, I agree. And I saw a tweet again, I think that was from one of the local press in Manchester saying I think it was just before we had all the issues with COVID and it was there was a couple of whispers coming out at that point about Martial and him not being happy and wanting to move on. And he basically said, Rangnick in one of the press conferences, look, I'm not going to convince anybody to stay at Man United. If nobody if somebody doesn't want to stay here that's fine, we can work together with the player, with their agent, and we'll find a solution, and if they don't want to stay, we'll move them on. But, and then this is kind of the biggest thing for him, was it has to be a deal that doesn't just suit the player, it suits the club. So he's not just going to bend to the whim of the player and just let the player go wherever, for whatever they want, whenever they want. It's whatever's going to suit the club and the player and he'll agree to that. So the fact that he'd already kind of come out before the Martial stuff was confirmed and already said, look, if if somebody doesn't want to stay here, I'm not going to convince them to stay here. I shouldn't have to convince them to stay here at Man United. And if they want to leave, that's fine. We'll, we'll move them on. And 
I think that's absolutely right. We shouldn't be bending over backwards to anybody. And for Martial and Lind- uh, Lingard not being in the squad again, I think that's fair enough because as much as Lingard's been good this season when he's played, he's got no intention, it looks like, of signing the new deal. And as you said, Rangnick's got to start planning. Not just f- He's got to get results this season, yeah, but if he's going to be staying on in this consultancy role to help the next manager, to help the transition after this season. He can't just be looking at this season. He also has to have an eye on what's coming next. So it makes sense that if Martial doesn't want to stay, Lingard isn't going to sign a new deal. He can't waste time on them. Unless there was a serious need to have them in the squad. He's... I totally get not having them in a squad and I get not playing them. That That's just tough at the end of the day. That's that's a decision that is quite right and should be made and I'm happy to see it. And to be honest, I thoroughly expect, maybe not Lingard, I think Lingard might hang around to the end of the season just because he, he'll probably go on a free and he might sign a pre-contract in January. But I do expect to see Martial moved on in January. Maybe not sold, but I certainly expect to see him at, at the very least put out on loan somewhere. Yeah, they're in two quite different situations. Martial's still got a fair bit of contract left. Lingard, like Pogba, is going to be out of contract in the summer. Uh, I, I kind of get the feeling that he's maybe pushing Lingard a bit towards the door and he doesn't want him just to run out his contract and leave on a free and is saying, look, if you're not committing, then leave now, basically, by you know not including him in the matchday squad at all. Pogba, we still have to see what his situation is. He is one of the few players who's still unfit, so we don't know where Ranić is on him, but I would assume he's in a kind of similar boat to them. Uh, we did put out a kind of bonus pod last week just to keep all our listeners going about Jesse Lingard. So if you didn't hear that, go and have a listen. It was recorded earlier in the year, but a lot of it is still very relevant. Um, but yeah, he could have already played his last game for the club. I won't be surprised. But yeah, look, let's go back to this Newcastle game. We, you know, we started badly. Uh, the one good thing we can say that, you know, we hadn't set the world on fire so far under Ranić, but we hadn't conceded a goal in the league. It'd been two one-nil wins, two clean sheets, and defence had been our biggest issue earlier in the season. Um, and yeah, Lindelof, a player that I have slagged off a lot, to be fair, had done pretty well. Uh, Varane comes back in. And, you know, we're down within like seven minutes, basically. It was a great finish, but Varane is the one who is most at fault for that goal, as far as I'm concerned. There was also like Maguire did not do well there. And it's just generally kind of reminded of goals that we gave away in so many games and so many times earlier in the season. And even last season, it happened so many times that we were fighting back from being down. You know, again and again, we did manage to do it. But it was just, we kept saying ourselves all the time, look, we can't always be trying to fight back. We have to start the games well. And yeah, it was kind of back to that. And it's happened before against Newcastle as well, that we've gone one down recently. Uh, You know, if we look back, even though people will not remember the start of the season well, we absolutely hammered Newcastle 4-1 earlier in the season. It was Ronaldo's debut. Uh, It was when we were all still on a high and thinking it was going to be a great season and how things had changed then. And, you know, we actually had two managers in place that weren't the managers in that game at the start of the season. You know, Eddie Howe and Ralph Ranić have both come in since and uh, changed things around there. I mean, Newcastle played pretty well, to be fair to them. 
they battled. They've somehow turned like the worst striker in Premier League history, Joe Linton, into some kind of midfield superstar, which is <laughs> fair play to Eddie Howe for turning that one round. But we were also making average players like John Joe Shelby look like top class players as well. You know, really struggling in the midfield area and specifically. And I don't know, I, I'm not really sure where things are missing. I know you had quite a rant about the players and you're really disappointed more in the players, right? You don't think this is down to Ranić's system or changing too much. You just think this is down to the players. I've got a serious problem with the, with some of the players right now because when I was sitting watching the game last night, Newcastle did play well. And as you said, the, fin- the finish that St. Maximan scores is, is excellent. Joe Linton, they seem to have realised he's not a striker. He's better as kind of the link man and better at kind of playing the short passing game and he's looked so much better under Eddie Howe. But as you say, we made really average players look like absolute world beaters and this isn't the first time. This was against Norwich as well. We stand off so much and I get we're meant to be trying to transition to a pressing team, but I kind of said it in the in the Discord chat last night, the attitude of the players at times is is absolutely stinking because even things like you lose the ball. So there was times when Rashford was tackled and lost the ball, for example. He's got no interest in running back, to, I, I mean even five yards, just to try and put pressure on the guy who's just tackled him. It's this exasperated, like, throw your hands out like this, as if, ah, what's going on sort of thing. I was watching, like, Match of the Day from the weekend and from the other night, and we're a million miles away from, say, Man City and Liverpool right now, but how hard those players work, and I don't mean pressing, I just mean in general attitude of the players. Those players go out every single game as if they've got a point to prove, and... Because the squad competition is so intense, those players know that when they get a chance, they have to take the chance, they have to play well, they have to put in 100% every single minute of the game, otherwise they're not going to be included in the next team, that's the way it is. That's the way it should be for us. But it's not just Rashford, because Rashford does it, but it isn't just him. Bruno, Bruno will misplace a pass, and... So many times it's his fault because it's a rubbish pass, and he then throws his hands up, exasperated again, remonstrating with whoever he was passing to, and it's and you're sitting watching it going, that's nothing to do with the players you're trying to pass to. That's just an absolutely shit pass. That's just clueless, and it doesn't matter who's in your team. They're not going to get to the ball because of that rubbish pass you've just played them, and he's another one when he gets fouled instead of just accepting that it's a decent tackle on him and he's lost the ball, instead of actually just getting up and getting on with it and chasing back to try and do something, he just gets up and moans at the referee all the bloody time, like moaning constantly about being tackled, thinking he'd been fouled. And you can tell watching it, it's never a foul. And that was the same last night. The amount of times he's just standing about moaning with the referee, with opposition players, with his own players, and, I, and I'm watching it thinking, I would be tearing my hair out if I was playing with some of these players because it's so exasperating. Like, you know they're so much better than 
than they're showing. But the attitude's got to improve, man, because we're not going to get anywhere if we're just performing like we are last night. And that's what I mean. I understand, yet there's been issues in the camp and everything like that. But the, the attitude really has to change. I mean, this just constant moaning, bitchiness, whinging, they need to pack it in. Just just get on with it and just start putting in some hard graft and, and try and change the game without just resorting to throwing your toys out the pram, just think, nah, well, it's not working. It's not going to work. I mean, Cavani come on and Cavani's grafted his backside off for 45 minutes, scores the goal, actually puts it about a bit. That's what you want to see more of. You want to see more players with attitudes like Cavani coming in and actually thinking they can affect the game positively and not negatively. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's difficult to disagree with too much of that. I mean, just to pick up on that point about Bruno's moaning, Ronaldo as well does it. Yeah. Rangnick did mention body language being an issue after the Norwich game. He was kind of picked up on it in his post-match by some of the journalists and he didn't want to talk about it too much because I think he didn't want to make a big deal of it. I do kind of understand where people are coming from. At the same time, I think that, you know, people get a bit too precious nowadays. You know, if I'm on a football field, I'm screaming at everybody. And even when I misplace a pass, I'm telling everybody it's somebody else's (laughs) fault. And I remember, you know, Roy Keane would absolutely blast every player for everything. They said he even did it in training. You know, loads of players said I was shocked at how, you know, Manchester United, even in training, one mispage plus and you'd get absolutely blasted. And I maybe think things like that are actually missing in the squad at the moment. Somebody to come and just tell them, listen, this is not acceptable. One pass, even one yard off, you're going to get an absolute bollocking. And maybe we actually need more of that. I don't know. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's also been, you know, we will talk, go into more detail about it, about how much the kind of coaching staff has changed. But he's brought in a sports psychologist, um, Ranjit now, which we haven't had for a while. So he's obviously very much into the mentality, very much into what messages are going to be sent out between players. So yeah, this will be an interesting thing to see how he kind of implements these ideas, especially into players who like, you know, are quite experienced players and might not be that open to this kind of thing. Uh, You know, if you've got young and learning players, they're going to be ready to take on advice. They're going to be ready to listen to new ideas. How much the likes of Ronaldo is going to be ready to listen to things about sports psychology and all, I don't know. But uh, like I say, it's been quite a big thing that's been made about this body language and the kind of vibe between the team. So, yeah, we will see how all that goes. Uh, I mean, the one thing that I was at least pleased by, because we can all agree that the first half was awful. And again, like I say, for me, the biggest issue is the passing is just poor. And you see it, like I say, passing accuracy stats where the likes of Bruno are in the 70s, Rashford as well, giving the ball away too much. Greenwood even lower than that. And, you know, it was absolutely no surprise whatsoever that he was substituted. Uh, You know, it was a big call for him to bring Greenwood in and he put him up front. That was the interesting thing as well. People weren't sure where he's playing this kind of 4-2-2-2, whether it be Greenwood or Rashford who'd come into the kind of double number 10s behind the forwards. But he put Greenwood up front with Ronaldo, and he's put Rashford kind of with Bruno in the two behind them. Uh, And Mason was just nowhere to be seen in that first half. He had the lowest amount of touches, 
and he was giving the ball away with near 60 odd percent possession so yeah you know two out of three balls are making it but that is an awful awful stat on how many times he's given the ball away there so yeah he was taken out straight swap for Cavani and you saw a huge difference there Ranjit then takes a massive gamble sacrifices Fred and throws in an extra attacking player so yeah this is the kind of thing that we would not have seen under Ole. So, you know, if we talk about comparing how things have changed, where things are changing, there is no way on earth that at half time, even at one down, Ole would have taken out a kind of defensive midfielder player and thrown in somebody like Sancho. And, you know, we then switched to a kind of 4-1-3-2, basically. And, you know, massively attacking, taking a gamble, No surprise that we gave Newcastle a lot of chances. De Gea makes some saves, but we did look better. We did create more chances and we did end up getting at least that goal that we needed to save a point. Uh, And, you know, I kind of thought, I came away thinking, look, we're lucky to get a point over here. I don't know if you thought that, but weirdly, the XG says that we should have won this game. Uh, 1.2 for Newcastle versus 1.7 for us. But yeah, maybe these are the times where, you know, if you look into the real details behind those numbers, XG does not show the best picture of this game. Um, You know, there's chances like, for example, when Cavani takes a shot, it gets blocked, he takes another shot. It's actually given XG value for both chances, even though in the end it's one goal. And a lot of Newcastles, if one of the weird things is, you know, when Chances like Murphy at the end is hitting the post. Almiron, De Gea pulls out a great stop. They're still given quite low XG chances, even though, yeah, for me, you know, they've done better efforts than we kind of managed. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know where you're on on that, basically. Yeah, I mean, I tend to not, I, I tend to not mind looking at the XG stats because they are, if you, I mean, if you watch, if you watch a game. More times than not, I think, if you watch the game and then check XG, it probably does reflect what you've just, if that makes sense. So if you watch the game and think, yeah, we've had really good chances there, them not so much, and then you check the XG and it ref- it tends to reflect that. This is definitely one occasion where that wasn't the case, because as you say, like, yeah, on XG, it says that we should have won. I really think we were very lucky to get a point last night because you've already named two of the chances like the chance where Murphy hits the post that's a great effort he's really unlucky when he hits the post there comes out to Almiron it's a cracking effort from Almiron to the top corner it's a great save to hear there was the other one where uh, I think it was just at the start of the half so Maximan has another massive chance and he should score Mm. and these are chances that Okay, they're not reflected in the XG, but you're just watching them yourself, just knowing that's a huge chance. You just know watching it, you're like, yeah, we're really lucky here. And it wasn't even just the X, in terms of chances created, the amount of times we just put ourselves under unnecessary pressure. And I mean, you're talking about like possession and passing. I've been banging that drum for I don't know how long, like how frustrating we are in possession and passing because it's so ponderous, it's so slow at times and it's just unnecessary some of the passes. I mean, even some last night where Maguire's got the ball in our our half and it's almost as if he he just doesn't, he refuses to pass the ball 
with one f- like one particular foot because every single pass is with the other foot, even if it's next to impossible to do that pass because he's being closed down. He tries to do some outrageous pass and it just never works. You can just tell it's always going to put the under the other player under pressure. Varane was already struggling, as we said last night, because it's no surprise really because he's been out for that long and was rushed back the first time. It's no surprise he looks like he's going to take a couple of games just to get up to speed and just the defend the defending last night as well was just shocking. I mean, we gave up so many chances where Newcastle maybe didn't make the final pass, didn't take advantage of the situation, but they the sheer number of times they just ran at us from mid winning the ball in midfield was really concerning and I know obviously yeah we made the change Fred comes off Sancho goes on so you are going to give up some it's it's just alarming just how many times we allow the team the other team to run at us though I mean even in the Norwich game the hair keeps us in that game makes an unbelievable save from Puke makes a save from the header which is even better makes another save in the last minute you can go on and on over these like two or three games where De Gea's kept us either in front or level. And as we kind of said previously, this can't go on. You can't just keep going on and on, playing like this, relying on your goalie, making unbelievable saves every single game to get you a draw or a win. And the defending, while it was better for a couple of games, it was better, but again, as I just said, De Gea practically kept, got us the win in the Norwich game. Certainly, you could argue, got us the draw last night. It's just concerning. It really is. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest like things I was not expecting was, you know, when we came in, Ranić is presented as like the godfather of Gegen pressing, and we saw in the first Palace game there was definitely a kind of intensity that we hadn't seen before. I mean, it didn't last the whole game because maybe the players didn't have the energy to. But then in the Norwich game and this game, I'm not really seeing the team pressing any more than we were under like Ole. And I said before myself that people who are expecting a mass revolution in kind of style are going to be sadly disappointed because there is there is a lot of similarities between Ranić's style and system and what Ole was going for with fast transitions, with... Ole did also have players who were kind of on a half press, you know, pressing definitely in forward positions, maybe not always. And there was games where he pressed all over the pitch. So players were not alien to it. But I'm not seeing that at all in the Norwich game. Not seeing it at all in this game. Half-heartedly here and there, but definitely no kind of cohesive team kind of press happening there. And I don't know whether it's something changed between when we're playing home and away. Because as I said, that Palace game was a home match and these last two have been two away games. So I don't know if it's something that Ranić has changed in his orders or whether the players are just not managing to do what he wants from them. Uh, You know, our next couple of matches, our home matches, Burnley, Wolves, and then we've actually got three home matches in a row, I think. Because, uh, yeah, it's Burnley, Wolves, Villa. and then we're playing yeah. Aston Villa in the Cup. 
So, yeah, it will be interesting to see whether that press reappears because it's a home game or whether it just reappears. You know, we I, I do want to keep saying that we don't know which players have not been fit, whether COVID has impacted it can be an issue. But just because we did also see issues in that Norwich game that was kind of pre-COVID issues, I think there's no way we can put it all just down to players being ill and not yet fully fit. Uh, you know, there'll be a certain rustiness from them not playing for a couple of weeks. But at the same time, yeah, you should say, yeah, maybe it benefits them and some players should have had more time on the training field to understand the manager but it does not seem to have translated in these last couple of matches at all so yeah we don't want to get too downhearted because like I said Randick's only been here for five minutes and we've had massive disruption due to COVID and things like that so yeah we need to give them all a chance but in the last two league performances and you know there was more than two weeks between them but it was definitely kind of worrying signs that things were not going in the direction we wanted uh, and we should not forget as well that Michael Carrick did so well with that team for his kind of three four games in the middle and it seemed like the team were getting back on track scoring more goals but yeah that's kind of lost again you know like I said Randy X four matches we scored one goal in each match and not created anywhere near enough. You know, you talk about the defence, but my actual worrying thing is about we're not, just not creating enough. And a lot of that falls down on this game in particular. You're talking about Bruno and Rashford, who are the two who are in that kind of double number 10. And it has to come either from them or the wide players. And in the end, our goal does actually come from a Diogo Dallo cross. And, you know, I'd say he's the one player who's benefited the most from the kind of change in manager. And I wouldn't be surprised for him to now make that position his own. And we'll see how that goes from there. I am surprised that Tellez is still being selected. I think ASAP Luke Shaw needs to be back in this team because he's a vastly, vastly superior player to Tellez. He's, you know, a good stand-in does a good job when he's there, has a good cross on him, but yeah, he can be suspect defensively himself. So yeah, there should be a few more changes we're going on there. And you know, the other player as well that I know online and all over, people are expecting we're going to have a complete change under Randy. It was Donny van der Beek. But yeah, again, we see absolutely nothing of him, not even like a sub appearancing over here. Uh, you know, Matic as well was bought in ahead of him. So yeah, it's kind of... Uh, not really sure we're out with him. And he did start that young boys game. And I thought he generally had an all right game, but he, he had an absolute howler for the goal that we gave away that day. So I don't know whether that's counted against him massively. And it would be such a shame that, you know, for him, it was like a fresh start. He then makes that horrible error, which in the end is the reason that we didn't win the match. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how much running it puts on that or again, if it's just things that are going on in training, it's still too early to tell where he's at with these players. But I did think that he was going to get some more game time and he didn't appear at all there. But, you know, we've got a, a lot of games coming up again. It's a few days to Burnley, then only a few days after that to Wolves. And then yeah, a bit more of a break until the Villa game after that in the FA Cup. But let's see if he mixes it up or not. Like I said, I was surprised that he didn't change a few more things. And players like, I mean, I know you, we had a bit of discussion. You said you were really worried about Rashford. And I'm very worried about yes. Bruno. For me, I have been saying it for like a few weeks now that he's been way off it. And when he's off it, he's a player who's giving the ball away much too much. 
and it causes constant problems and often giving it away in bad positions. And this was the problem for me. Too many times the ball is coming in and just being wasted. I mean, to be fair to him, Bruno has made the pass that goes out to Dallow that then comes back in to make the goal. So yeah, in the end, he has done the bit to at least contribute where it's needed. But it's still a major issue. He's, you know, he's top of those stats of giving the ball away. But at the same time, I still see, you know, I've seen a lot of the half kind of season stats being thrown out now because that's where we're at for most clubs, even though we're still a couple of games behind. And Bruno is still the number one in the whole Premier League for chances created. So, yeah, it's that kind of two sides of him that you see. And yeah, that's why I guess Ranić is still sticking with him. But at the same time, he can be a liability. That's a trade-off, isn't it, with Bruno? I mean, it is infuriating how often he gives the ball away, how, how, and he has looked poor. That's been the biggest problem. Is when he first came in and that then that first full season, even when there was games where he wasn't playing well, he still had the ability that we know he's got. So that was why you left him on. This season, though, and I, and I know those stats are showing you well, clearly he's still making loads of chances and he's the best in the league at it. I'm just worried, as the same as you are, because you you can look at stats and make a conclusion based on the stats, but at the same time, your eyes don't lie. If you just watch football and just watch the same team every single week, you're going to then formulate your own conclusion on a player because you literally you literally spend every week watching them play. So Bruno, we know, hasn't been anywhere near his best because yes, he's top he's top of those stats for chances created and what have you, but he's not scoring anywhere near the amount of goals. He's not creating literally the same number of assists. Okay, still making chances, still the pass before the assist, if you like. But even just from what we've seen before this season, we know that this isn't his best and he hasn't been near his best for a while now. And he's obviously suspended for this next game against Burnley. And you wonder if maybe just that might give him a kick up the backside a little bit just to kind of reinforce, yeah, the team needs him and he needs to get back to his best soon because, as you said, Van der Beek still can't get a look in. And even when Bruno is probably deserving of being rested, shall we say, Van de Beek still can't get in. Still can't get in, even just cover for a game. And that's why it'll be interesting on Thursday, because Bruno can't play, it will be interesting to see who gets picked in his position. But going back to Rashford, I'm, I've went from kind of concerned about Rashford to seriously concerned, because... That performance last night and the performance against Norwich is nowhere near good enough. Nowhere near. And his performance can be summed up by that one piece of play that I've seen about 15 times on Twitter today where he's got the ball on the left-hand side and it's neither a shot or a cross. He just literally spanks the ball to about the 30th roll back in the stand. And it's, he's outside the box to the left-hand side. He's not even in front of the goal. He's outside the box to the left-hand side. You can't even tell what he's, what he's trying to do. And he just smashes the ball straight into touch. And 
while that's all, you can look, look at that and go, well, that's just one of those things. That is absolutely symptomatic of how he's playing right now. He's he's not offering anything remotely dangerous. He's he's not running at players. He's not taking the man on. He's being very timid when he gets the ball. Yeah, I don't I know. I don't that, totally agree with you on Rashford. I think that he's obviously not been on top form, but I think he was looking like one of the players who was more likely to do something yesterday. I thought he was definitely looking more likely than Mason or Ronaldo, who were like not yeah, offering enough at all. But, uh, I don't, but, but, that, see, but I just think, again, you know he can do better. You, you yeah, absolutely definitely. can because the, because the yeah. evidence is there. And, and that's why I'm concerned. I'm not jumping on him because... I've seen loads of people say, ah, well, he's not that good. This is his level. That's absolute mince. I don't believe that because he's literally proved in the past how good a player he is. That's why I'm seriously concerned, just purely because I know he's so much better than this. But he's been he's just been serving up really poor performances for a long time now. And I, and I think probably on Thursday, I'd be amazed if he starts on Thursday, just purely because I think they need to make some changes. And just kind of on some other players, I do agree with you on Tellers. I think Tellers is good as a stand-in. He's good if, again, say Shaw gets suspended, you can bring him in for the for a game or two. But uh, he, he's not been good enough for me, and I think he is very suspect defensively when I've watched the last couple of games. So I wouldn't mind Shaw coming back in. But I have been I have been really impressed with Dallow. I think Dallow's actually played really well, and he's ten times the threat. Wan-Bissaka is going the other way. I mean, even that's just been proved by, as you say, he got the cross in for Cavani. The game against Arsenal, he was really threatening down the right-hand side. And in other games as well, he's just... he's just he's, Because he's willing to go forward, because he's willing to take a man on and cross into the box, even on runs where he knows he's not going to get the ball back, say, from Sancho, he just makes that diversion down the outside. That creates just so much more of a chance for whoever's got the ball because immediately the def- the opposition defender's attention is deflected to Dallow, even if he's not going to get the ball. And you just don't see that from Wan-Bissaka. And he is obviously, as you said as well, having issues off the pitch. And I just don't see him coming back in into the team just now. So Dallow's one that I'm very comfortable with in terms of, yeah, just give him the right back position for the time being. Just let him have it. Yeah, I think... We will see Aaron Wan-Bissaka just in this period, just because we play so many games yeah. in a short space of time. So he will get a run out. And let's see if he can step his game up. Uh, you know, Dallow did have a bit of a torrid time from ASM, St. Maximum. And it's not the first time. Every time he plays against us, he seems to just really just worry our defence. Yeah, I know. As a, as a dribbler, he is one of the best in the league. He just sometimes lacks that last pass, that last shot, which is why he's still at Newcastle. Whereas, uh, you know, not a step up. But yeah, on this day, obviously, he scored against us. And it's not the first time either. And, you know, Newcastle. Newcastle, let's not forget, they lost their two bigger tracking threats who both went off injured, Wilson. So, yeah, that helped us as well. You know, before that, they were having more chances. So, yeah, we, I, as I said, I'm thankful we got a point, even if the XG suggests that we deserved it. I'm not so sure about it. And then just going back to Rashford, I will say that I think that he is the player, though, who's been shifted around the most in these new systems. Because when he first came in, he was stuck up front with Ronaldo. 
And this match, then, he's pushed him into the kind of double number 10s, starting on the right side with Bruno on the left. Then at halftime, he switches it round, brings in Sancho. Bruno kind of goes central and then Rashford sent to the left side. So I think he does need to kind of get back to kind of one position. And, you know, when we saw Rashford at his best, it was that time when Luke Shaw and Rashford played yeah. week in, week out, linked up beautifully on that left side again and again and again. And for me, yeah, Rashford needs to get back on that left side and be able to do what his thing is. Uh, you know, the problem again is that Ronaldo, if he's playing in this kind of system or whatever, he favours coming in from the left. And again, you know, for me, that's probably Rashford's best position. So, yeah, I don't, we know we don't have time to go into the whole Ronaldo discussion today. But I've said before that I do think yeah, as good as a player he is and all the goals he scored, he is still causing issues for where we're having to shift other players because of him being around. But yeah, that's the kind of, you know, slight thing I will say for Rashford. He's been shifted around a lot and all the players are still obviously getting used to this new system. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I said, you could see somebody like Mason Greenwood. I think it was his first start, I mean, apart from that young boys game, um, under Ranya, can he just didn't seem to know where he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to be doing. And that's why he was cut at halftime immediately. So, yeah, there is still players who are adapting. The things have changed. So, you know, let's see how it goes. Uh, and I think that is one of the interesting things to look at, kind of moving on from the Newcastle game, is our coaching team, which has changed a lot since we kind of last played. Um, <clears throat> obviously, last time we'd already seen that Michael Carrick had left. Kieran McKenna has now gone, and he's taken the manager's job at Ipswich Town. That's a great move for him. Yeah, I definitely. think, you know, he's only like 35 years of age to get a managerial job over there. It's a great shot for him to take over there. I mean, he's taken our goalkeeper coach, Pert, with him as well. So that's kind of three of the backroom staff under Ole who've already gone. Uh, Ranik has brought in three new guys. There's Chris Armas. He's an American uh, he's worked with Ranić from kind of uh, New York Red Bulls, and he was assistant manager and then manager at New York Red Bulls, and then also manager at Toronto in the MLS. And from what I kind of understand, he was quite highly rated as assistant, but he's been pretty miserably bad as yeah. a manager, failing twice. Uh, so yeah, all right, look, he comes back now as assistant manager, but yeah, as I say, his CV in the last couple of years has not been good. At the same time, I do remember we've seen several times in the past, and even under Fergie, guys who were great assistants, who then when they try to go and become managers, fail miserably. And, you know, can remember Brian Kidd in particular, who was kind of one of Fergie's, uh, you know, the assistant manager when we won those first Premier Leagues. And he then went on to be a manager, fail miserably, but then has come on and he's actually still assistant manager over at the other side, become a blue nose at Manchester City. And he's still, you know, doing a great job there. So, yeah, some guys can be good assistants, can be good coaches. So just because they fail as managers doesn't mean that they're bad coaches. But as I say, yeah, he comes in with not the greatest of CVs. Uh, then he's brought in a new video analyst, Ewan Sharp, who's actually a Scottish guy. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah I know that he had fought quite hard for him. That was one thing I did read, that that was one of the positions and one of the people that he was fighting quite hard for. Um, I can't remember where I read he was involved that before the, the last job. but I, I knew. Yeah, so basically he's brought him in from Locomotive Moscow, yeah, right, where yeah. we've brought Ranyuk from. But he was also involved out at New York Red Bulls. Yeah. 
in the kind of, you know, the Red Bull group where Ranya could be overseeing everything. And he is a Scottish guy, played Scottish football, but has done his best work out in the U.S., where he's a coach, video analyst. And like I say, he's coming now from Locomotive Moscow and is primarily all about looking at the opposition. And from what I understand, that was Kieran McKenna's main job for us. So it kind of makes sense that he's coming into doing that. Because, yeah, McKenna was supposed to be the one who was massively into video analysis, analysing the opposition. So, yeah, he's moved on there. He's bought them and then. And then, yeah, the other guys are German. Sasha Lenser, sports psychologist, worked with Ranjik out in Leipzig. We've not had a kind of sports psychologist for quite a few years. I saw some people saying it's Manchester United's first ever sports psychologist, but that is not true because Alex Ferguson did employ people to do that kind of job before. Maybe he didn't have guys who were full-time, but we did have sports psychologists coming into the club in the past. I think Ole did not have a specific one. So that is kind of one change over there. And yeah, we'll have to see what kind of change these guys can make over there. Uh, Mike Phelan is still sticking still around at the on. moment. I'm not sure what exactly he's doing and I wouldn't be surprised to see him moving on in the summer. Uh, I can't see where he kind of fits into all this, but I guess he is still now that kind of last real link to the previous guys. You know, now that McKenna's gone, now that Carrick's gone, Phelan is the one who still kind of knows the dressing room. The players know him. So maybe, yeah, Ranić's just keeping him around for that. I did see that. Did you <laughs> see that often... Christmas joke about McPhelan? That made me laugh. I saw one on Twitter no, and it was on. basically, a, yeah, it was a guy saying, um, said to his pal, oh, how, what are you going to do with the Christmas dinner? How are you going to help out? And the other guy replies, oh, I'll, I'll be doing a McPhelan. And then... The guy says, what does that mean? He says, oh, just hanging around in the background, just not really doing anything, just making sure everything's ticking along. And I was like, that's over-exaggerating, Mick Phelan, because I literally can't see in matches, in the training photos. I, I just don't know what he does. It literally is just like hanging around in the background, just not doing anything. Well, you know, under Ole, and you know people who are like Ole haters always used to criticise Ole for staying sat on the bench too much, not been on the sideline. It did actually used to be Mike Phelan or Michael Carrick, who was on the sidelines in the technical area, often shouting instructions to the players during matches. So that is what he used to do under Ole. Now, though, you see Darren Fletcher is constantly in our technical area. And I I mentioned on the last podcast that I found this slightly strange because he was not kind of part of Ole's match kind of day uh, staff at all. He was kind of more supposed to be behind the scenes, dealing with things between the board and all. But he's now very, very involved. And yeah, it will be interesting to see how Darren Fletcher's role kind of progresses in this new kind of era. It seems like he's going to be very much part now of uh, more the coaching team, more like what's happening on match days. Uh, he's in and around there for now, for sure. But yeah, look, this is a new regime. Like I say, three have left, three have come in. I know that when Ole left, a lot of people said, oh, you know, it's not right that all these others have stayed because they were part of the same failures. And yeah, I kind of understood that. So yeah, look, within a month or so, everybody's got their wish and we're having a total change. And, you know, you have to say, you have to give these guys some time. Uh, you know, we're complaining about the past couple of matches and rightly so, because we were poor. But at the same time, let's give them some kind of chance to see what's yeah, happening there, how long it takes to implement. So Yeah, exactly. Uh, and for a, I think all three of them, this was actually their first match. Uh, Or no, maybe Chris Armas was on the bench 
in our last match before that. But the other two have definitely only come in during this break. <clears throat> so, yeah, like I say, it's early days. But, the you know, the big thing we have to look at, like I say, is that top four battle. Uh, you know, I was looking at the table. And even if we win our games in hand, we are still off one point off Arsenal. Uh, and my only worry is how this kind of fixture congestion will kind of sort itself out now. You know, we're not the only ones. Spurs have matches to play, so we'll see how it all goes. I mean, I do remember days gone by. I don't know if you do, but yeah, you know, back in like early Premier League days, it was quite often that matches were postponed this time of year. And it often used to be back then because like pitches were unplayable, they were waterlogged or like it snowed and things like that. So yeah, you often used to get different teams who would like not play the same matches. Whereas in recent times, qualities of pitches and all are obviously way better. So it was rare to have like matches postponed. But you know, we kind of got semi used to it in this new COVID era. And this season, has obviously had massive impact. So there's going to be some point where we're going to have a crazy run of games to fit all these in. Uh, you know, at the moment, obviously, Champions League has not kicked back in. That is another thing that's happened since last time we recorded. It was the Champions League draw. I'm sure, I know, Dame, you were live watching that oh, complete man. farce, right? Oh, it was a disaster. I mean, to go literally into that thinking, right, if we get a decent draw here, I'll be happy. I literally did not expect to witness the absolute carnage that was that draw to unfold. I mean, to pull out, I think it was, yeah, it was Villarreal second and then say, oh, they can't play Man United. And I was literally sitting going, yep. No, sorry, they said they can't play Liverpool. And I was like, that's not right. And then you literally see the guy pick up the Man United ball and put it in the bowl and you're like, surely they've got to realise this is wrong here. And you could, and when they went to pull the ball out, you just knew it was going to be Man United. You knew that because of how colossally they had mucked it up, it was going to be us that was drawn out. And sure enough, it was us. And that was bad enough. But to then go into the next round of fixtures and pull out Atletico Madrid, and then put the num put the names in, and then they said again. Manchester United are omitted from this and you're sitting watching it going this, this is chaos like, why are we omitted from this and sure enough like after the draw was finished and everyone just realised it was a complete and utter farce you had Atletico Madrid not happy Bayern Munich weren't particularly happy Man United were asking for explanations Villarreal weren't happy at all it was just hilarious TV and to just kind of see the pundits trying to either justify what had happened or they were kind of sitting slating what had happened. It was just hilarious viewing. And then eventually, obviously, they done it right and we've ended up with Atletico Madrid. Uh, I checked Atletico Madrid out a couple of times. They aren't the team they used to be, I will say that, but it still will be a quite a tough draw because under Simeone, they just seem to know how to win games. And I watched their game against Porto, actually, and... That was the game that got them into the knockout stages and as soon as they got the lead, they just went the typical Simeone route of barging players over to get a reaction. They got a reaction from a couple of players who got sent off and I was just watching it, kind of thinking it that night. I was like, oh, I, I really don't like them. I really don't like Atletico Madrid. So it's kind of sod's law that we end up with them. But I did see it's actually been quite a while since we've played them, I think it's about 20 odd years or 30 odd years or something like that. So yeah, yeah, it will be it's a long time. We played them once 
uh, in Europe, and it was back in European Cup Winners' Cup days. And you know, I used to love that competition. It was a for all like yeah, the I young like listeners, that. that tournament. All the cup winners from every country, so they were the knockout specialists, went into that tournament, and it was a straight knockout again. So it was the knockout specialist knockout tournament, and we won that. It was Fergie's great trophy, 1990 Rotterdam. United beat Barcelona. It was the first time we'd been back in Europe for years and years after being banned due to hooliganism. Won that trophy. The year after, as defending champions, we did go out to Athletic Madrid. Uh, so, yeah, it was the year after that that we lost to them. And this is the first time we're playing them since then. It's been a long time. So it is actually a more interesting draw. Yeah. I was so When we got PSG, I was like, oh, <laughs> PSG again, because we played them so many it's times. every season. But, you know, though. also, these... Yeah, I mean, these were basically the two hardest draws we could have got. Yeah. yeah. But so, yeah, one point part of you says, oh, I wish I had, you know, I can't remember who it was, Sporting Lisbon or I think there was like Salzburg or somebody was in there. Uh, but the other side, you're like, look, we also want these big games. You know, you're excited that Athletic Madrid are going to come to um, Old Trafford. So, yeah, there's the two kind of sides of it. But yeah, there's a couple of months till that all kicks off again. But we will have a lot to look forward to then. Uh, just before we have a quick kind of look at the next game, Burnley and all, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Manscaped. And those of you who were hoping that we might get a new sponsor in the new year are going to be sadly disappointed because <laughs> we've just signed up with Manscaped for another three months. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, fellas, this episode of United Hour is brought to you by our favourite producers of ball trimmers, Manscaped. Join the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming in leaving 2021 behind and entering 2022 with a clear mind and clean body. A special offer alert. Use the code UNITEDHOUR for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Four million men already trust Manscaped. Time to join them. Uh, so, yeah, if you're still looking for a late Christmas present, uh, you forgot somebody in the family, get over to manscaped.com. United Hour, 20% off. And, yeah, you will be hearing this for the next three months because, yeah, Manscaped have agreed to keep sponsoring us. And, yeah, look, thanks to all of you listeners out there who keep using the code because uh, it really does help us out and uh, keep us going through all these times. So, yeah, looking ahead, next match is Burnley. They've also had a total disruptive in their COVID kind of fixture list. They've not played for two weeks now. And they were in a pretty poor run when this hit them as well. They haven't actually scored a goal for like three Premier League matches. They had nil-nil with Wolves. They then lost to Newcastle, 1-0. And they had a nil-nil with West Ham. So they're definitely scoring uh, against so yeah, us that that's what you're saying. Well, that's what I was thinking. Probably within about yeah. five minutes as well, if it's the usual kind of way. I mean, yeah, Burnley are actually a bit of a bogey team for us. We've not had like great results against them in recent times. Uh, you know, and it shows you, even though they've not been great there, they've only conceded one goal in three matches, uh, keeping two clean sheets as well. So you know what you're going to yeah. get when they come. They'll be absolutely fighting hard. They'll be, And it's going to be that same issue for us. We'll get a lot of the ball. And do we make the most of it? Do do we make enough chances? There has to be a big change from what we've seen against Norwich, against uh, Newcastle, and even what we saw against Palace. Because even though, you know, we were pretty good in that match for kind of half an hour, 45 minutes, the second half, we were not that great at all. So, yeah, if we want to get back into this top four race, then, yeah, there's no way we can keep dropping any points here. As I say, Arsenal are in a good run of form. So, yeah, Burnley at home has to be a must win. After that, we roll on to Wolves. 
and then yeah we get a kind of break with the cup but do you think he'll mix it up for Burnley? Who 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 do you want to come back in the team? Because I know, as I said, you do not put this down to change of kind of tactics. You do not put too much faith into kind of COVID and that you're blaming, di- blaming directly some of the players. So who do you want to see out and who do you want to see in? Um, there's quite a few that if I was given a blank slate, there's a few that I would certainly give a, give a fresh shot to. So... First of all, yeah, as I said, Tellers would be out. I would put Shaw back in. <sighs> I mean, Bruno, Bruno will, be will be out of this out, game because yeah. he's suspended so, anyway. The Bruno one's difficult because you can automatically just say Van de Beek, but then as you say, he, he's mm. not getting a sniff at all. And you wonder as well, was that because Ragnick's watching him in training and thinking he's nowhere, he's not good enough for what he's wanting within the squad. He's not going to bring enough to the team. So that's why he's hardly playing. But I would, I probably would still just go with Van der Beek because with Bruno missing, you need a bit more craft, a bit more creativity. And I wouldn't mind just seeing that chance being given to Van der Beek to, to just say, look, we need you in this game. We need you to step up. We need you to fill that void. Can you do it? Because, as we said as well, Bruno hasn't been in tremendous form. So if he does come in and plays really well, he can at least stake a claim for the next couple of games. Rashford, I would I would be giving Rashford a rest purely off the fact that I just don't think he's been anywhere near good enough for a while. So I wouldn't be starting Rashford. Um, it's who comes in to replace Cavani, him. Cavani has yeah, to Cavani start. Cavani has right? to start. That's one that I would absolutely agree with. He has to start. If we're going to do... These, if we're going to persist with the four-two-two-two, it has to be Cavani. Cavani has to play. That's just absolutely nailed on for me. He has to be playing. And I know he wasn't great when he came on the other night, but part of me still just thinks I just want to see Sancho play. I just want to see him just come in, just start the game, not not for, not come on halfway through the game or whatever. I just want to see him start the game, just play him. So. I think there is a number of changes I would like to see made, but I'm not sure he will make loads of changes. And again, I don't because we don't know who was really struggling with COVID and who was really struggling with any other kind of injuries or anything like that in this period of 16 days or whatever it was between the the Norwich game and the Newcastle game. There might be some players that are still struggling with the after effects of COVID, still struggling with the after effects of being not well. So they might, if if there is players like that who weren't picked or didn't play against Newcastle, and that's still the case, they might not play against Burnley. So there's a big difference between who I would like to see given a chance and who I expect to see given a chance. Yeah, fair enough. And yeah, I do agree with quite a few of those changes, even just for mixing it up. Uh, I do want to see that Ronaldo Cavani yeah, front definitely. line and how it can work. Uh, you know, we saw it a little bit before. And I actually remember being surprised at how well, you know, Ronaldo and Cavani linked up. 
Uh, although I do, it just given me a flashback to that one moment where the goalie was in yeah. no man's land against Newcastle. Ball falls to Cavani. To he should have it. passed it to Ronaldo. Yeah. And instead he kind of goes for a shot. But, uh, you know, anyway, hopefully it can be better on there. But he will surely mix the pack up. I think Van der Beek has to be given that chance. Uh, even though he was not amazing in that young boys game, I do remember him getting that shot earlier in the season. I think it was West Ham in the Cup and we lost that day, but I thought he was really good and was surprised that he didn't give more of a chance after that. So I think, look, he needs to be given that shot. And the the opposite he'll be to Bruno, who gives the ball away a lot, is that he does not give the ball away. Uh, You know, sometimes you can say he's too safe and he's not doing enough with it, but he'll definitely keep hold of it. Although that is not Ranić's way. He has said quite clearly on several occasions that, you know, I don't want to see square balls. I don't want to see back balls. I want to see the ball going forward. And, you know, the players are doing that, but sometimes it's just hitting and hopeful and it's going nowhere. And that's a total waste. And, you know, for me, that is not, the way forward at all and maybe it's just about our players not being on the same wavelength but too many times long hopeful balls going nowhere and that has been our absolute downfall so yeah look let's hope something changes with that as we come into this Burnley game because we've been away a while we may well surprise you and record after that Burnley match <clears throat> if we don't we will definitely see you in the new year after the Wolves game and uh, yeah we'll be back regularly in 2022 even though we've been away slightly slack on this hopefully Covid is kind of disappearing and is not going to impact the schedule too much as it comes up and <clears throat> I will say you know we were trying to assess here how Ranić's been but it's been a messed up time but yeah this 2022 six months will be what we really see of what he's about and what he can do and yeah fingers crossed to, uh, we go onward and upward in 2022 yeah so yeah that is good night from us good night troops and if you don't hear from me have a happy new year sports social podcast network